The Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. And then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The Gospel of our Lord. Grace to you, O Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus the Christ. Amen. Amen. Several years ago, I wonder if she remembers this. I was in the kitchen of uh, the house we had just moved into when Sarah, my wife, screeched and jumped back from the cabinet. She was looking in. What's wrong? I asked. There's a mouse in there. You need to get it out. <laughs> now, we had dealt with mice before, and so I knew exactly what I needed to do as a, as a, a professional mouse hunter. And so I started by moving things around in the cabinet gingerly so that I could see whether or not there was indeed a mouse. And I screeched and jumped back. There's one there, all right, I said. I saw the tail. But then I had to muster up my courage. And I began to move one item at a time slowly clearing out that cabinet, only to find that there was no mouse there. In fact, there was no evidence of there ever being a rodent in that cabinet. No scat, no hair, no nothing. We were both kind of perplexed by that. We are certain that we saw a mouse, or did we? What we eventually determined was that the, the kitchen pendant light was casting a weird shadow on the cabinet shelf, which tricked our minds into thinking that we had a visitor, that there was a mouse there, but obviously there was not. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> thinking about the gospel reading for today, I wonder what was going on on that high mountain so many years ago. What was obviously significant as they saw what they saw was significant enough that the church has been observing a celebration around it for thousands of years. Transfiguration of our Lord. That's the Sunday we're in. The Transfiguration of our Lord Sunday. And it's the celebration of this strange, indescribable, surreal occurrence when Jesus appeared to turn as bright as light itself and stand in the presence of Two heroes of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, 
prophets from of old. Is it possible the disciples didn't see what they think they saw? Or did they experience it just as Mark's gospel describes it? What's a skeptical mind supposed to think about an event that otherwise could come across as just another fantastical Super Bowl Tide commercial? Remember all those Tide commercials and Super Bowls? Yet, what was Mark wanting us to know by sharing this kind of sci-fi-like event of a transfiguration? Looking back at the verses leading up to this occasion on the mountain at the end of chapter 8, Jesus is in the midst of teaching his disciples what his, face, what his fate would be. You may recall his encounter with Peter when after predicting his own death and resurrection, Peter pulls him aside to private and says, don't talk that way. Nothing like that can happen to you. I won't allow it. Peter says. But then Jesus counters with that foreboding phrase that he speaks to his own friend, his own disciple, get behind me, Satan. Remember that? For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. It's imperative for Mark's gospel and the message he's attempting to convey that he goes to great lengths to, to show to his readers Jesus' association with divine things. Who is Jesus? Who are people saying that Jesus is? When people read this gospel account about Jesus, what will they perceive about Jesus? It was all in the background of Mark's mind and heart when he was writing this account. I thought I had seen a mouse in that cabinet. I was convinced of it, mostly because Sarah had thought that she saw a mouse, and I empathized with her in those moments, and I saw what we thought we saw, but when we both figured out there was no mouse at all, we were feeling a little silly and grateful. <laughs> but this is not the case with Mark's account of Jesus being transfigured on a mountaintop. It was not some sort of optical illusion or distortion of light which Mark is using to convince his readers of a truth about Jesus and the nature of Jesus. Indeed, Mark's earliest audience, the earliest readers of this gospel, would have completely understood the parallel reference that Mark was drawing between Jesus' divine claim as Son of God, and the same claim being made by the reigning emperor of the day, Caesar Augustus, or Augustus Caesar. Augustus Caesar was calling himself Son of God, Savior. The latter's claim was all predicated on self-serving power and, and might by a, a tyrannical figure with displays of military muscle, the, the conqueror over the conquered, wealth and opulence over the ordinary, the, the belittler over the belittled. The contrast for the people in Jesus' day couldn't have been any more stark. Compare that with the true Son of God, Jesus, 
who would come back down from that mountaintop experience and would go on amongst the people serving and healing and drawing people into a sense of honor in relationship, not just with the divine, but with one another. The Son of God by any other name, Augustus Caesar among them, would serve only to draw attention and humanly honor upon himself. That's what happens when one sets one's mind on human things. Have you ever felt this sense that inside of you that if others knew you for who you really are, if they could see you for who you really are, they would not like what they see? They may even see you for all that you try to hide about your real self. I feel like that sometimes. I, I feel like sometimes I shouldn't have this privilege of being able to stand in front of you to proclaim a good news that on some occasions I struggle with seeing the good news myself. But then I remember Jesus' words to Peter. You are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Human things. They want instant gratification, which disappoints. Human things want to see cause and effect, which often doesn't always balance out. If I do this, then I should be rewarded with that or be punished for this. It doesn't work that way, though, does it? A mindset on human things wants what it thinks it can get, however it can get it. By contrast, a mindset on divine things wants what God gives and is willing to receive it in whatever way God wants it to be received. A mindset on divine things trusts it needs to be in it for the long haul, and God is in the midst of it. That's what brings me back to my faith, that, it, that in a mindset on divine things isn't about me at all. It's about God and what God is up to in my life and in the lives of everyone I encounter. Amen. What Peter, James, and John saw on that transfiguration day wasn't mountaintop lightning playing tricks on their minds. It wasn't a, a sci-fi event made up by Mark to make a powerful point. It was Jesus manifesting the difference between living a life of faith with your mind set on divine things, contrasted with the way we typically choose to live our lives with minds set on human things. Of course, of course, there would be dazzling light and a voice emanating from the clouds. How could there not be? Because in that event is the pronouncement that Jesus is God's Son, and with him God is what? Well pleased. And indeed, we must listen to him. For the sake of the world, for the sake of our lives where decency and, and peace are at risk of succumbing to the ways minds fixed on human things tend to behave, we need to listen to Jesus. You need to listen to Jesus. And together we need to proclaim what he says by the way 
we live our lives. Now, coming into the penitential season of Lent, I want you to ask yourself, are you poised? Are you ready to set your mind on divine things? What does that even mean for you? Are you prepared to deny yourself and, and take up your cross, as we hear in other places of Scripture, for the sake of honoring God and no one else and nothing else but God alone? Are you ready to expose yourself for the fearful, dishonest, mindset on human things, ways that you tend to live your life? Am I ready for that? Ash Wednesday calls us to renew our journey into the heart of God and God's ways. From there, the 40 days of Lent and aid us in, in helping to reshape the way that we think, right? To reorganize what it is that we set our minds on, focus on what we need to see as the, as the truth of God's will. In other words, to set our minds on divine things. That's the challenge. And what a blessed challenge it is. Let it be a time of renewal as you seek to respond to the command of God and listen to Christ Jesus, paying attention to his ways and, and with him putting Satan who works through human things behind us. Is that possible? In the love of God in Christ Jesus, indeed, it is possible. Alleluia! Oh, good, you got some, all right. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs>